0: All right. We'll be in Luke chapter 10. Um, I'll be reading verses 1 and 2 and skipping to 17 through 20. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Thanks, brother.
1: Church, I know that we talk a great deal about mission, being missionaries as part of like our very identity. We talk about simplicity for mission, beloved family of missionary servants. We talk about mission, mission, mission quite often. And I know, that if you are human and you are like me, that can be a burden. It can be one more thing that you feel like you just can never get around to, one more thing that you're not adding up in, one more thing that you feel like God is displeased or or, or losing patience with you because you, you can't share your faith with others or you just haven't got to know all your neighbors yet or you still haven't talked, had that hard conversation with that one family member or so on, so on and so forth. And And we can feel this guilt and, and sometimes it's a, a crushing burden for a lot of us. And as we've been going through Luke, Jesus has been laying it on heavy. We got a little break and went to Daniel. And the book of Daniel was kind of heavy. And then we jumped right back to Luke with last week's uh, message from Pastor Daniel. And it was a really, really hard message. The cost of following Jesus and all the different things that hinder us from following him. And, and so right after that heavy word, the disciples, or 72, are called to respond to that call and go out and be missionaries on a specific mission mission trip. Now, I have great news for you. This passage is not going to be another wait. <laughs> I have 10 encouragements from Luke chapter 10. Uh, I, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, I'm not that creative. But 10 encouragements for the mission for you today to challenge but also encourage and to build you up and hopefully remove some stumbling blocks and remove some uh, shame and remove some some lies that you may be believing that's holding you back from the mission and and the greatest ultimate joy that we have, point number 10, that we have that sustains us for this mission and for this life. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 verse one and I just wanna invite you there. I'm excited to share this with you. Thank you for being here on Mother's Day. Most churches, it's the biggest day of the year for Sunday attendance, but because we meet at five at night, it's one of our worst days, and so I'm very grateful that you're here and that you celebrated with your mom later. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. We start off, and the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, first, when you see the number 72, it could seem random, but it is very likely that Jesus is referring to Genesis chapter 10. Now, you don't need to flip over there, but if you want to look at it quickly, this chapter is often labeled as the table of nations. And guess how many nations are in Genesis chapter 10 listed? 72. 72. How
2: about that? Mm Interesting. Interesting.
1: Now, what is Jesus doing? What is he maybe implying? Well, what we're seeing progressively throughout the book of Luke is that this gospel is for all peoples. Church. All peoples. Okay, I always have to do that. Mm -hmm. All peoples. From every tribe, tongue, nation, people group, ethnicity, race, class, gender, every kind of person, without exception, has access to this good, in fact, the greatest news ever. And what we're seeing is that this 72 may be representative of just putting a little foreshadow that this gospel is actually going to transcend the borders of Jerusalem, the borders of Judea and Samaria, but actually keep going beyond to the ends of the world. And this is good news for us because as far as I know from this room, which I know majority of you, none of you guys are ethnically Jewish. And for you to be part of uh, God's people until Jesus came, you had to become a Jew. You had to take on the customs and the law and, and proselytize. You have to convert into that culture, not just the truth, but the culture and the habits and everything else going on. And, and, and what we have is great news is that you don't have to be Jewish to be part of God's people. And that's good news for us. And so the first encouragement we have is that the gospel is for anybody and everywhere without limitation. That's good news. Because I have a lot of my past. And a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be included into this, into God's people, and so do you. And I don't come from a well-to-do family, and I don't know where Koreans lay in the whole spectrum of of you know which which ethnic group should get priority in God. And yet God is saying, Hey, no ethnic group has priority to me anymore. Everybody has a seat at the table if you want. This is good news. Now. Jesus says something that I find so liberating. He says, sent them on ahead of him. That's what the passage said. Sent ahead of him where he himself was about to go. So Jesus is sending these 72 to go ahead of him before he goes. Why is that significant? Why am I emphasizing that so much? Well, the 72 disciples are functioning kind of like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner. Forerunner is essentially someone who's going to run ahead of the king and give good news that the king's coming. Get ready. Get ready. Prepare yourself. He's coming. And I love that because they are not the savior. They are not the ones. They're like John the Baptist. In John chapter 1 verse 8 it says this. Speaking of John the Baptist, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And so it is for us. We are not the light. What an impossible burden to carry that we have to be the summation of light and holiness and goodness and worth. But that we are pointers to the light. We are going ahead to let people know that the king is coming. And so you are not the savior. And I know that some of us, all of us, at times have felt that pressure. I gotta save my family. I gotta save my friends and my co-workers. But no, you cannot save anyone. In fact, if someone finds out you're a Christian and says, oh, are you going to try to save me? You can say, I can't. No, I, I can't. But, but I can introduce you to the one who can. And, and that, that's a crushing burden that you can just, just go ahead and just throw off your, your back, church. You can't save anybody. God's the one who does the saving, but you can introduce them to the Savior. You can be a forerunner for him and be used by the Spirit. Let's let's look at this even further, skipping to verse 16 at the end of the passage if you're looking at your Bible. Be on the screen. The one who hears you, speaking about the these disciples, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me, speaking of Jesus. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me, the Father. So what is what is Jesus saying here? Ultimately, when you are faithfully bringing the good news to someone, and if they reject that good news, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. And they're rejecting the one who sent him. Which can be very, very liberating. Because, to be honest, I like to be liked. And I can be so trapped by what people think of me, and I feel that pressure. I feel that pressure of not making things awkward. I feel that pressure and that fear of ruining a relationship that seems to be going so sweet. I just don't want to ruin it by bringing in the, the big Jesus, you know, Jesus into the situation. I feel that. Can I just be honest? As a pastor, I feel that those cowardice thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. What I need to remind myself is ultimately if they reject me, they're not really actually rejecting me. It's not about me. It's about the one I'm pointing to. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I need to do a good job at sharing the gospel and being cleaner and not being a terrible witness about my life. <laughs> right? I'm being obnoxious and being arrogant as I share the gospel. But ultimately, the job is for Jesus to do the saving. And so take that that burden off to feel like if they reject you, they're ultimately rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ, and and that is a great pity. That is a great thing for us to be saddened by. And So the second encouraging point is that we are not the Savior, and that is liberty. We're just pointing to the Savior. Now, final point from verse 1 that I want to highlight, then we're going to keep going. See that Jesus sends them out two by two. Two by two. He did this previously with the 12, and now he's expanding to 72, and then eventually we're going to see that it's going to be expanding to 120 later on in Acts. But what we see is a pattern in the scriptures that you you may see someone going out to be on mission by themselves, But you will never see someone individually sent out by themselves. If you search throughout scripture, you're always gonna see, especially in the New Testament, people sent in groups. In the Old Testament, you have some prophets who go on their own. But in the New Testament, they're always with teams. And that is significant and encouraging. What does that mean for us? Well, real quick, this doesn't mean you can never share the gospel on your own. You're like, hold on, I need to tell you some good news, but I need someone else to be here with me, okay? (laughs) But but what that shows me is that the normal pattern for mission for Christ, for evangelism, is to be done with others. And that's great news. Because here's the thing. You do not have all the gifts of the church. If you did, you would be the church. But the church is made up of all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of gifts and strengths and weaknesses and preferences and personality types. And it's all that kind of stuff. And collectively together, we more accurately point to Jesus. We demonstrate it by the way we love one another, the way we live. And then even each individually, we express his his gospel in in unique emphases in ways that, that the next person doesn't. The same message, but the the manner and and the flavor of it is different from each one of us. And as we work together and lean on each other's gifts, we can bring the gospel to bear to more kinds of people. And this is really liberating because the reality is maybe you're not a good talker. Maybe you don't talk good, okay? Maybe you're not very good at opening the door and just cold calling someone randomly on the street and talking to them and connecting with them. But you know what? Maybe somebody in your group, missional community, is. Mm -hmm. But you're really good at like going deep with someone and really nurturing someone. And maybe that person who's really good at connecting and talking isn't as gifted in that. And maybe that person's going to work with you as that person brings in someone, you're going to be the person who's going to continue to walk with them for the long run. And maybe someone else in your group is very, very good at apologetics. And so that person has some objections about the faith. Maybe because they grew up in Islam or maybe they grew up in, as a secular atheist. And, and and that person is really intellectually gifted to be able to answer those questions. And then another person maybe is really gifted in, in opening up their home. And do you see where I'm going with this? That together we can work together to bring the gospel to where everyone playing a role. Now everyone needs to be able to share the gospel. In season, out of season. Every single one of us. But I want to take off the pressure that, that if you're not sealing the deal every single time you speak to an unbeliever from start to finish, talking to cross, Roman road, or whatever method, wave the master, and, and, and asking them prayer pray pray, then you fail. Because collectively, we are working together to move people by the power of the Spirit towards the Savior, and you may just be bringing them from here to here. And someone else is going to come along a couple of weeks later, who's going to bring them from here to here, and then someone else is going to come along, and they're going to bring them all the way to the Savior. Through the preaching of the gospel.
2: Right. And,
1: and, but, 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 but let me be clear. Every one of us is part of that. Intentionally. The, the mission doesn't change. But the manner for each of us in different seasons. In different moments may change. And so for me. I've had the privilege of being able to lead people to Jesus. By praying with them. And going through the whole prayer and baptizing them. But I've also had the, the joy of just being there to encourage them. And give them a flavor of a, of a Christian. And, and it's a beautiful thing that we get to work I don't have to always be the closer And I love that I love if someone else closes to And I love if someone else introduces I love helping, so, helping someone along their faith While someone else has been laboring for years And I just get to come in for the end I love that, that's great And I also kind of love When I labor for years with someone And then they leave And then the next person the one who leaves them <laughs> That happens too And I kind of love that too You guys tracking with me? But but it's it's, it's a beautiful thing that we get to work together and you can have the freedom. So the third encouraging point, you're not alone in the mission. In fact, we ought to partner with others for the mission. Okay, so I hope this encourages you to press in with your MC, especially as we reach out more this summer with the weather warmer. You don't have all the gifts, but you know what? Your MC may collectively and you guys can work together for the mission. Everybody involved. All right, let's go to verse two. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, is that word earnest, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What's the great news? The harvest is plentiful. What's the bad news? The laborers are few. There's a disproportion right there. Big harvest, few laborers. Wow, look at this harvest! But we don't have enough people to
2: plant. Pick all
1: the food that, That's the picture you should be having Huge harvest ready To be picked from But not enough people to do it And there lays attention Because of this scarcity He calls us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest Do you see the repetition here? The Lord of the harvest and his harvest It's his harvest He is the Lord of it And because he is, we can pray confidently. This is not something that he is going into a new frontier or an area or a territory he's unfamiliar with or has no authority. He has authority and so therefore we're asking for him to send out more laborers. Now how all that works with the sovereignty of God and our human choices, I'm not exactly sure how that works with this passage. But I do know that the clear reality in this text is that there's a great harvest and there's few workers. And God is in charge of that harvest, and he's calling us to pray for more laborers. And this is an encouragement that we even see in the Great Commission. The same mindset. Jesus says what? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Right? Not, I may have or I don't have authority. Now go and try to work it out. No, no. Because I've already won, now you can go. And in the same way, because he's the Lord of the harvest, we can go. And then we can pray. And this is great news because no matter how hostile the situation, we know from this passage and other passages that because the Lord is the, the Lord of the harvest, that at least some, there will be a remnant who will say yes to him. Yeah. Now, let's think about this pattern of prayer and mission. When you look at throughout the Gospels, what does Jesus do before he is, starts his mission? He goes out into the wilderness and he prays. And what does he do before he commissions 12 disciples and picks them? He goes out to the mountain and prays all night. And what does he do here? He calls them to pray before he says anything else. And throughout Acts, before they see a great move of the Spirit, they're praying. Prayer and mission are connected. And those who go on mission, pray. And those who pray go on mission. And if one of those elements in that equation is missing in your life, something is off. Because they were what God has brought together, let no man tear asunder. You know what I'm saying? It should be together. And so if you're praying all the time but you're never on a mission, something's wrong with your prayers. And if you're always on mission and you're always never praying and doing it on your own strength, something's wrong. But but in fact that's rare. Usually when you're on a mission, you have to pray because you know how impossible it is. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why we kind of throw you into prayer, uh, into mission oftentimes, because you either sink or swim, and you're just like, God, help me, and then you start praying, because you know you can't save anyone, because you're just the forerunner. Speaking of prayer, when was the last time you prayed this prayer in verse 2? Lord, would you raise up more laborers? for the harvest is great. Oh God, there's too much work to be done and not enough workers. But here's the deal with this prayer. If you are to pray this prayer authentically, then you be, must be willing to go. How can you pray such a prayer if you're not willing to go? And so therefore, subconsciously, I sense that most Christians avoid this prayer because they don't want to violate their conscience. They want to be authentic, and therefore, they know that if they're going to pray this prayer, that God's going to call them to go at some level, in some manner. And so we avoid this prayer like the plague. Can you pray this prayer tonight, authentically? We'll get there a little bit later. I also want you to note this language of harvesting. Now, real quick, it feels real quiet here. Theo's not here we need we need we need the spirit of Theo okay so we need some amens or some yes lords or something okay i need your help okay this is this is uh this is rough right now okay all right help me out here help this preacher out notice this word harvesting amen there's nothing amening about that okay this word harvest it's farming language So think farming, think sowing, watering, seeing things grow, and then harvesting a crop. Now every year when Joanna does her garden, she does it every year, she reminds me and draws my attention to some beautiful and helpful phenomena. She will plant the same kind of seed from the same store, water it, give the same soil, same sun, And yet some seeds just thrive. And others don't. Some get all the same treatment, and they barely grow. And some get all the same treatment, and never grow. And I think that's instructive for us. Because when we think about this language, we are harvesting, we are farming, but we're not doing the growing. We can't do the changing. And that should be liberating as well. Because God is the one who makes things grow, not us. Mm -hmm. We're just being faithful to water, to share, to point some sun on that that seed and let God do the rest. And so often I can be overly fascinated and overly um, focused on growth in me and growth in you. And I can get discouraged, if I'm Mm going to be honest. I can get so discouraged about the lack of growth in my life. Oh Sam, why are you not further along? And I can honestly feel that from feel that with you guys sometimes, and that's to my shame. You may feel that for me sometimes, and I'm sorry. God help me grow in that. But I can feel this. Come on, more, more, and yet I can't do that. Only God can. And if we focus on our ability to make things happen, then we're gonna be constantly, perpetually discouraged. And probably perpetually putting shame and pressure on people to be something that they're not yet, yeah. Yeah. and something they can't without God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. The reality is, you could be doing all the right things, literally just—you you mean you could write the handbook. You're doing everything right in the book, and it just—it doesn't grow because God's sovereign plan. And you could actually be the worst at doing it all, and God just makes it go bananas and grow like crazy. There have been churches that just go nuts. Like God pours out a spirit like crazy. People are growing. People are getting saved. And like when you look at what the pastor did, you're like, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Like that wasn't really good. But God's just like, man, I'm just gonna bless that. You know? And we just gotta just really let go of the of the sense that we can make things happen. Yeah.
2: Right. yeah. Only God can.
1: So I hope this takes your encouragement to another point. So fourth encouraging point, Jesus owns the harvest, and he is the one that makes things grow. Now, let's look at the manner of the mission. We're going to highlight a few specifics, um, but then we're going to make make a couple of little pit stops, but we're going to just be flying through for the next few verses um, because there's a lot here, but I want to highlight a few things. Look at verse 3. Go your way, and, and this just get your head around this, what are they going to walk into? What are what is Jesus saying that they're gonna go into? A parade, go into a welcoming committee? No, look verse three. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Okay. Just imagine in your mind's eye right now an innocent bad lamb walking into a crowd of ravenous, hungry, mungy wolves. And that is the kind of picture that you should have that's happening in the spirit. Jesus is sending out these innocent lambs who are about to just get slaughtered, which foreshadows his ultimate slaughtering for them. So what does this do for us? Why is this encouraging? It encourages us to know that God knows that this is going to happen and that we we don't have to be surprised by it. We don't have to be shocked when we get... Backlash from our friends and family members yeah, yeah. or our co-workers.
2: Right.
1: You're literally like a lamb going out among wolves, mm-hmm. spiritually. And it may not look like you're getting ripped up physically, but but emotionally, mentally. It may look like death to your preferences, death to your comforts, death to what you love most. But God is with you in all of it. Mm-hmm. Verse 4. Can you increase just a little bit more Neil? Because I think I'm going to start yelling a little louder, and, and I don't want to. I'm to hold it back. Verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Okay, stop here. What's going on here? Is Jesus being like, hey, just like ignore people, be a jerk, don't do anything, and then, hey, by the way, I hate money, I hate banks, I hate shoes. Okay, what, what's going on here? Because you can take this passage right here and go in a lot of really bad di- directions in your life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's going on here? First of all, remember, when we read the Bible, we're reading everything in context. This is a specific mission trip for a specific group of people in a specific time while Jesus was physically on the earth to prepare these cities for Jesus' physical arrival on those in those cities. Okay, you, you, this is a specific mission. And so the instructions he give are instructive for us principally. There's principles here for us to learn, but they're not all instructive for us to do right now in the same way. Okay, let me give you an encouraging point here. God will provide whatever you need for the mission he calls you to do. Now let me go do a really liberating, encouraging point, the next one, number six. God calls people to do different things at different times. What do I mean by that? Well, whenever you read the Bible, remember you're reading specific missions and specific contexts. L- look at Luke 22 real quick, on the screen. Luke 22. Can we read that out loud together? And he said to them, When I send you out with no money bag or knapsack
2: or sandals, did you have anything? They said, anything.
1: He said And no Alright, well what was going on here? Same Jesus, same ultimate mission, different manner, different process. In one passage, Jesus says, hey, don't take anything. And in this passage, it's like take stuff. Okay, which one do we do? Well, it depends, right? But what this, illustration, what this illustrates to us is that the same Jesus can call God's people to do different things at different times for the same mission. Yeah. And we do not have to feel bondage to one way and feeling like if it's not this way, it's not anyway. It's it, It's got to be this way or no way.
2: Yeah.
1: Let me give you a couple quick examples you guys ever heard of George Mueller? George Mueller is one of the heroes of the faith. Bristol, England. Preacher and philanthropist, extraordinary. He he had these orphanages, and they took care of these orphans, hundreds of orphans. And one thing that he's well known for is that George Mueller would never ask for money, even though he need tons of it to support all these orphans. And everybody who reads George Mueller's books or hears about him, what do you now feel the pressure to do? Ask people, or what? Not to ask, right? Oh man, if I'm really spiritual, if I really trust God, I will never ask again. But you know what? You had other missionaries who asked a lot. And what if part of asking is God's way to humble you? Because it is a humbling thing to ask for money. There are times in my life where God has provided for me supernaturally and I didn't say a word to anyone. And I felt a strong sense from the Holy Spirit to not ask. And there are more times where I have felt the freedom to ask. So what does that mean? It depends. And you can find the liberty. Here's another example. Imagine a family that you know and respect decide to send their kids, decide to homeschool their kids. Now, what does every parent now feel the pressure to do? What? Homeschool. Well, God Well, if God's calling them to do it, then probably I need to do it too. And if I don't do it, I think my kids, right? Those are the lies that we hear from the serpent. But maybe God has you to raise up your kids in the public school because he's calling you to send them out to be witnesses, young missionaries. And maybe not. I, I don't know. You gotta pray. You gotta ask community. You gotta seek the Lord. Or perhaps God did something in your life in the past, and now you feel like he has to do it the same way from now on. Mm-hmm. Let's say he called you to move across the country, and the way he did it, he did it with dreams and visions and special prophetic words. And then you now set a precedent in your mind that anytime you make any significant decision, you have to have a prophetic word or dream. And that is not biblical. And other times, maybe you made the decision because you did one of those classic pros and cons lists and you prayed hard and you felt, hey, this is a good decision. And maybe this time God wants you to seek your face in prayer and fasting until you get a clear prophetic word. It depends. But sometimes we just feel shackled that God has to do it the same way, the same manner every time and and get into this. Is, Is that liberating? But you know what that takes? It takes humility and dependence, which is also hard. Because every single time is fresh. Every single time you're like, okay, God, what do you have for us now? Maybe it looks differently this time. Maybe it will look, look differently for us than it does for that person. And that takes humility and that takes prayer. We don't want to. We just want the formula. And so if you're in a fundamentalist community where everybody has to homeschool and every kid looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, watches the same, watches the same things, goes to the same programs, you, you don't take. You don't need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Because that's you're just, you're just doing whatever else does. You know, you're you tracking with me. And then that goes for every life decision almost. Every every life decision that is extra biblical that you have to decide that's not explicitly sinful or not. That's hard. Okay. Hopefully that's helpful. Sixth encouraging point. God is a unique way for each of us to complete the mission. Same mission, but different manner. And also, may I add, throughout your life, different life stages, different seasons, it's going to look differently at different times. And I remember when I was in my early 20s and I wasn't married and I was able to do certain things that I can't do now. And I can sometimes feel the temptation to feel shame and feel like, well, I'm not really doing it because I'm not doing it like I used to. And you know what? I have four kids and maybe God has it look a little different right now. And maybe 10 years from now, it's going to look back when I was in my 20s or look like something totally different. Who knows? Back to the text. From 5, verses 5 through 10, if you just quickly just glance at your Bibles, you're going to see two types of people that these disciples are going to encounter on their mission. Very simple. It's the two types of people that you are going to receive, you're going to encounter the rest of your life. Those who receive Jesus, people of peace, and those who reject him. Two categories. Every single person in the world fits in one of those categories. You don't want to oversimplify the world as so many do on politics and so forth, but this is one area you can simplify. There are two types of people, those who reject Jesus, those who accept Jesus. And for those who receive them, they're called to stay with them, bless them, bring shalom to that family, to to that home. But if not, move on and let others look for others who will receive them. This is tricky again because, again, principles, not rules. The general rule here that we see here and throughout Scripture is when those who are are not receptive to the gospel, respect, uh, uh What am I? What did I just say? Receptive. receptive. Okay. I thought I said respectful. Receptive to the gospel. You move on to those who are. That's the general principle. Okay. Now, with that said, that does not mean every single time you show the gospel and they re- they don't receive it. First of all, you just give it up and you're like the disciples and you just look at them with this stink eye you take your shoe off and you just say man this we've gotta get this i'll get this dust off of this city because god you know to the hell with all of you right because the reality is sometimes god has us to keep knocking keep sharing keep pressing in and sometimes he calls us to say you know what maybe it's not time yet.' the reality is there are going to be people who will the Holy Spirit has been priming their hearts to receive the gospel, and you're going to come just at the right time. And there are other people. That day is going to come another day. And there's some people that day will never come. It's tricky. It's tricky to know. But you again, there's no a perfect formula. Hey, share three times and then have nothing to do with them. No, no, no. You share. You you pray. You seek counsel. You press in. Uh, th- think about Jim Elliot. He goes to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And it looks very promising, but one day things take a turn for the worse, and him and almost his entire team are just massacred on the beach. His wife is now a widow. And then she goes back with a team, and they see a revival break out, and many of the same murderers end up following Jesus. Some become pastors, and there's a church there. So so when they massacre Jim Elliot and all of his people, you could easily say, well, no people, peace there. Done with that place. They're not ready. But, but maybe that will just be the, the right soil to get them ready for the gospel. We don't know. We need to press in and ask the Holy Spirit. I, I, I know that my tempt- temptation, all of our temptations, we just want a formula because then you don't have to think. You just go through the formula. Yeah. But there's no formula. And sometimes you need to walk away, and you've got to let go, and you can't be the Savior. And I, and I feel right now in a prophetic sense that there's someone in here, or maybe some, some buddies, who you keep going back to someone, and, and, it's, and, and it's a pride thing now. You're trying to save them. And you got to let go, and trust them to God, and pray, and maybe God will bring them back in the future. Also, just know this, that those who are open to the gospel are often those who most people don't care are open to the gospel to. What I mean by that is that throughout Luke, we've seen over and over again, is that the people who get that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the one we're following are the people that nobody cares about. And so maybe you're sharing the gospel with this one person they kept saying no, and, and then you're just like, well, I, I just feel called to this people group, right? And maybe you're just drawn to people who are like you. You know what I'm saying? Like, who, who feels drawn towards those who have a lot of trauma? And those who don't have resources, who can't pay you back. And those who are hard to talk to. But it's those people who often, are, their hearts are primed and ready for the gospel because they're spiritually poor and needy. And so maybe God would have you stop trying to talk to your rich neighbor who doesn't think they need God. And there's a reason why Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And go to the person that you don't want to talk to because they're really awkward. Yeah. Or they're really, really challenging, mm-hmm. Or they're going to take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're just looking in the wrong places for the harvest. Mm-hmm. Maybe the reason why you haven't let anyone to Christ ever or it's been many years is because you just keep going down the places that Jesus is not at. Mm-hmm. You're going down to the places that you just want to go. Alright, I'm, I'm just picking on you guys now. Seventh encouraging point is that there's some who will receive the message. This passage shows that some will receive, some will reject. And know that you may get a bunch of rejections, but eventually you're going to find one that who will receive it. Now, let's quickly look at verse 10 through 14. Okay, I'm going to unpack it really quickly. Jesus teaches us here, if you, you look at the passage real quickly is that there are some cities who heard the gospel and rejected jesus but if jesus were to do the same miracles that he did in some cities he knows that actually they would have responded to the gospel and so therefore he's saying woe woe to you woe to bethsaida Because I have given you myself, I've given you the message, and I've given you tons of miracles as evidence of my words and who I am, and you still don't receive me. What does that show us? It shows that God knows, I I know I may be reading to the text, but he knows all the different outcomes of the world. That's kind of cool. But but also we see that there's different levels of hardness of hearts. And then we also see here that God will ultimately judge people who have heard the message, who have had lots of opportunity and rejected it. And so that is a hard word for us because you're hearing this word right now. And if you grew up in a Christian home or you had a lot of exposure to the gospel, you're doubly accountable for what you've heard and said. And I am especially accountable, more accountable than you guys. That's why James says not many of you should desire to be teachers, right? Because you'll have a stricter judgment. And so the more exposure you have to the king, the more accountable you'll be to the king. Now, the eighth encouraging point here I want to highlight is that there will be judgment for those who reject Jesus. What? Why is that encouraging, Sam? Why would you say it's encouraging that there will be judgment for those who reject Jesus? Here's why it's encouraging. If you have ever experienced horrific evil on this earth and seen that evil get away with with it, there is a deep sense of in the pity or your stomach, saying that's not right. And if you know that there's a guarantee that justice will be served, that all wrongs will be made right, that is actually encouraging. Now, we don't delight in the death of the wicked. I do not delight in the death. I wish all were saved. Every single person could be saved. I wish there's a way. But there is another side of me that takes deep delight that the wickedness that reigns on this earth will end. And those who pr- promote it, who bring it about, will be judged. That's encouraging to me yeah. Yeah. But it, but, it, but it's, it's a complicated encouragement You know what I'm saying yeah. it's, it's not a sick pure like oh I just love These judge, people getting judged No there's a there's a complicated where I'm mourning, him, mourning it And yet I'm rejoicing it And that's kind of how God's heart is
2: yeah.
1: He does not delight in the death of the wicked Yet he delights in the death of the wicked In different passages It's complicated yeah. Now we're coming down to the end The return of this 72 Let's jump to verse 17 need some water for the last stretch <laughs> okay so the 72 returned from this mission it seems successful it seems like they're all back none of them died because there was a promise that they wouldn't die at least in this mission trip and they're returning with great joy why because the demons are subject to them in Jesus name no they're not subject to the disciples they're subject to the disciples in Jesus name no demon is under you. Demon's under Christ. And in Jesus' name, you have authority over demons. Okay, that, that, That's really important. Now, verse 18. Jesus' response is unexpected. I thought he'd be like, "Hi, Yeah, you tell me! Tell me what happened! Right? He says this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What the heck? Right? He may be connecting to Isaiah 14. I don't have time to go with that, but you can just jot that down if you want to study that
2: later. And this
1: word saw, what is that word saw? Well, it's in the imperfect tense, which is, it's a reality that he was seeing it. I was observing that this happened. Now, the reality is there was a fall from heaven Satan had sometime before creation, it seems. And there will be a fall one day when, when Jesus comes back and hurls Satan death and, and every, everyone who follows him into the lake of fire for eternal judgment. But I think what's going on here is that Jesus is seeing the dismantling of Satan's kingdom. That as the disciples go forth and bring the good news and heal the sick and cast out the, uh, the, the demons out of people, that, that in one sense it's the dismantling Satan and he's falling out of heaven like lightning. It, it, it's disrupting his work and his reign on the earth. David uh, Garland, a scholar, puts it like this. It's on the screen. What is happening is not simply the expulsion of random demons that they might come across in the travels, but the beginning of the complete overthrow of Satan's rule. Man, there's so much here. I'm going to have to keep going. But verse 19, this passage has been very, very confused. Some, some people have taken this. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And they've taken this as a sign of how much faith you have. Right? There's some denominations and groups that, that will handle snakes. Hey, do you have enough faith here? Take the yeah. snake. Right? Oh, you died. You didn't have enough faith, right? Uh, what what what's going on here? Okay? I I don't believe this passage means that you can just go find snakes and handle them and you'll be fine. Fine. Okay? What I understand this passage is saying is that throughout scripture, what what is what is the serpent often a symbol of? Right? See. And you also actually see scorpions as a uh, connection to the spiritual darkness throughout, uh, you see in Revelation as well. So what I think more literally, though Paul shook a serpent off of his hand, though it can happen in the physical, I think that this is is spiritual. That God is going to give them special spiritual protection in Jesus' name over the enemy who is being defeated for the mission. So the same spirit that empowered these disciples, you have it. So don't let this be, oh, well, that's just for them. No, 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 this is for us. We have that same spirit. And God can empower us to do mighty miracles in his name against the work of Satan. The emphasis is spiritual, not physical. This is not about trying to test yourself on how much faith you have. This is about you going on a mission and doing it. And as you go, God is going to empower you to do what he has called you to do. So the ninth encouraging point in Jesus' name, we have power to dismantle the word of Satan. Now, final point. Tenth most encouraging point. Okay, we're finally here. Verse 20. So he just said all those great things. And let me just be real. I love when God uses me to do miracles. I love when I see people get saved through my preaching or through my counsel or whatever it is. That's great. One of the greatest joys. But what does Jesus say? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. What's the this? miracles and power over Satan that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven it is an exciting joy giving experience to destroy the worst but what's even better that your name is written in heaven Having your name written in heaven is another way to say your name is written in the book of life. It means that your citizenship is secure. It's guaranteed. It's stamped. You have been set aside. You've been adopted. You are his forever. You are part of the Christ family. You've been born again. uh, Brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So in other words, Jesus is saying, "Don't, don't merely rejoice that you're being used by me. But rejoice even more that you know me. That's the greatest joy. That's the fuel for the mission. This is the greatest joy and encouragement you can have. And if you're here, and I don't know all of you, but I know most of you, and you're not sure your name's written in heaven, come talk to one of us. That is a terrible place to be if you're uncertain, if your name is written in heaven. Do not delay. And I want to highlight this. This word right here, rejoice in this. That your name is written in heaven. That word rejoice is in the imperative. It's a command. And it's present. Which means it's a continuous reality. And dare I say, increasing reality. You are commanded to rejoice more and more daily that your name is written in heaven. Not just when you were first saying, oh yeah, I remember that day. It was so great. Ah, I never felt happier except that day. No, no. no. Increasingly daily reality. You are commanded to have joy in what Jesus did for you. I want to I want to read something real quick to you there's a book called uh, don't lose heart or don't lose hope or something like that. it's good it's one of my favorites except I just don't know its name by Jason Meyer okay one of the pastors at Bethlehem and in his bio he said something that just throws me he talks about all the stuff you know yada yada pastor professor loves his wife his kids and then the very end it says this Jason still can't get over the fact that the Lord saved him. He believes that being a Christian is the most wonderful thing in the world. When I first read that in the bio, I wept. Not because I said Jesus is so good, but because I don't think I would have said that. I don't think I would have written that in my bio without trying to force it. You know the people that you talk to, and you're like, how are you? And they're like, blessed! And you're like, "Eh, I think you're just being religious. You know, hallelujah. You sure? And then there's other people who say the same words and you just have a sense that, man, that that goes deep in from their heart. They really feel like they're blessed. They really are saying hallelujah. Praise God. Right? And when I read that quote, I mean that bio like two years ago, I just wept because like, God, I want I want that to be true. I want that to be the reality that that I still can't get over that you saved me. I can't get over the fact that I'm my name is written in heaven. I can't get over that you love me. That the greatest joy that I have is that I'm a Christian. Right. Yeah. Is that the greatest joy? Because it isn't. You're going to get really discouraged on this mission. Mm. And you're going to get really distracted by all the idols that are so tantalizing in the world. Yeah. So I want to call you, church, to get back to your first love. Let that be your greatest joy that your name is written in heaven. And I just feel just this great remorse over my heart because I know that's not the case right now. Can I just be honest? Can I preach that authentically and just say that's not the case? I was just crying before the service because I was so discouraged by some things. And I felt the Holy Spirit just move in my heart. saying, if you really were so moved by the fact that you're saved, you wouldn't be that discouraged by those realities. I think Jesus here is doing two things. He's humbling the disciples. They're doing great, mighty works. And so it's, they're humbled. Wow. Okay. You know what? I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. That's the greatest thing. Let me not get puffed up about all the ways God used to me. But I think, too, it encourages us. Because Jesus knows that most days in ministry won't be like this, where you feel like Satan's just falling out of the clouds all the time. Most days in ministry are going to be mundane, a grind. It feels like you're taking two steps back, one step forward. It will be discouraging. The fruit will be will be hard to perceive. And so Jesus is using this passage to encourage the disciples that, listen, there's going to be hard days where I'm going to be gone. And you'll have my spirit, but you're going to be persecuted. Your brothers and your fathers will betray you I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm not near, and you, you may die, but know that your name is written in heaven. And so, church, let that encourage you because there's going to be, most days are grind for the Christian. But your name is written in heaven. Take heart, rejoice. Jesus invites us, this final phrase Jesus invites us into the great harvest with great power, but the greatest joy is that we're already part of the harvest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And let that fuel you all the days of your life. And if that has been lost on you lately, like it has been for me, let us go to prayer. Pray for me. Mm-hmm. Father, it's so easy to fall into just working for you, doing for you, and forget just loving you. Let us return back to the reality that the greatest news has already happened. We've already won the lottery. We've already won everything that we could ever dream for we have you we have the man of our dreams we have the god of our dreams we have the father we've always wanted and never had we have the king the greatest king and so father bring our hearts back and realign and let our hearts be filled with joy that our name is written in heaven more than all the other joys of the earth let they pale in comparison to join you thank you lord for this encouraging passage let it fuel us this week and forever, let us keep going back to the gospel. Keep going back to the fact that we are yours and you're coming soon. So we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Hasten today and keep us till that day. Fuel us till that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.